0: Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning and we thank you once again for your goodness and love. We thank you for the grand old hymns that we can sing. And Lord, we ask more than just singing these songs that our hope would be in the Lord and that our path would be in the light of your word. We ask you to superintend each part of this service that you may be honored and glorified in it, that today we would truly worship you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. If you would, and let's turn to the book of Second Peter chapter 1. 2 Peter chapter 1, and I want us to read a longer passage this morning. We're going to start in verse 1 and read down through verse 12. Simon Peter, a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ, to them that have obtained like precious faith with us, "...whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. And beside this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge, and to knowledge temperance, and to temperance patience." and to patience, godliness, and to godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, charity. For if these things be in you and abound, they make you that ye shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But he that lacketh these things is blind, and cannot see afar off, and hath forgotten That he was purged from his old sins. Wherefore, the rather, brethren, give diligence to make your calling and election sure. For if ye do these things, ye shall never fall. For so an entrance shall be ministered unto you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Wherefore, I will not be negligent to put you always in remembrance of these things, though ye know them and be established in the present truth. Now I want us to start at the last verse we read. It says, I will not be negligent to put you always in remembrance of these things. Peter is saying, listen, you know what these verses say. You understand the message of the scripture, but I'm going to remind you about them. You know, there are times when we just Need to be reminded. We need to go over it again. And that's uh, verse 13. He even takes it a step further. He says, Yea, I think as meet as I am, as long as I am in this tabernacle, to stir you up by putting you in remembrance. He said, As long as I'm alive, I'm going to keep reminding you about the same things. Now, as the pastor uh, of this church, uh, I was here on sunday number one in in October. We have brother Clayton coming in he 's going to preach with us for three days. That will be eighteen years. Our church has been here in a story now we haven 't been in the same location eighteen years uh, we 've only been in this building since uh, Christmas Sunday of one thousand nine hundred and ninety six and before then, we met in the basement of the Seventh day Adventist place, a church over on 32nd Street. And then before that, we were way up at 23rd Avenue in a rented office space for just a couple of days. But, you know, I just stop and think 18 times 52. That's a lot of Sunday morning messages. And the simple truth is, if I preach anything new to you, then I'm not preaching what the Bible says. And so, there's a lot of things that we have to do just to be reminded. And this morning, I want to break this passage up into three different areas of your life. Number one, what God has given you. Number two... What God wants you to give yourself. You say, well, wait a minute. God wants me to give him some things, doesn't he? I mean, he gives me and I know just follow the direction of the scripture here. God wants you to give yourself some things and not only at Christmas and on your birthday. And we're going to go over those things that God wants you to give yourself. And then the last part of this passage is what is going to happen in your life. In fact, Peter, as he gave us this passage under the influence and direction of the Holy Spirit of God, said, listen, if you do these things, one thing's going to happen. If you don't do these things, another thing's going to happen. And he gives us a charge to make sure that we put these things in our lives. And I can tell you that every time I look at my life and I find A little drift there, I find that some of the joy is missing and and I get a little discouraged and get a little wrapped up in other things. It's because I've let some of this slip that is in this passage this morning. Let's go back and, and dig into this passage. It says, Simon Peter, a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ, to them that have obtained like precious faith. Now, to me, that is one of the greatest promises, one of the greatest uh, things in all Scripture. All my life, before I was associated with the Bible and and anywhere outside the Bible, you always have this multi-tiered society. How many of you remember when you were back in elementary school? You had the really smart kids, the teacher's pets and all of that. And then you had the not-so-smart, not-so-bad kids that everybody got along with. And then you had the not-so-smart, not-so-good kids. And then you had the really dumb and really bad kids. I mean, it was all set up on levels. I mean, almost like a caste system in India or something. And you got stuck in one of those groups, and that's where you were going to be... Am I the only one who went to a school like that? No, everybody did, now didn't we? When you get to work in the business world, what do you have? You got the favored few, you got the rest of the people that do all the work, and then you got the ones that have to be there to satisfy government regulation that don't do a blessed thing, and oh my, I mean, it's just frustrating, isn't it? You say, where, what's that have to do with this passage? Well, here's the Apostle Peter. And he says, I'm writing that book to those that have obtained, obtained, possess, like precious faith. I have the same salvation the Apostle Peter had. You say, I'm not sure I'm saved like that. You're a preacher. Listen, if you don't have the same salvation Peter had, you don't have the salvation the Bible offers, my friend. Because God only offers one level of salvation. You're either saved or you're not. And he's saying, listen, if you have God's salvation, he says, I'm writing this book to you, but the only way you've obtained that salvation is through the righteousness of God. That's something God's given to you. How many of you have battled the guilt of not measuring up to the Bible and you just sit there and you say, I'll never be good enough to serve God. Uh, God knew that when he saved you. That's why he gave you his righteousness. That's why you're saved through his work and not through yours. If you believe that this morning, could you say amen? How about praise the Lord for His goodness, amen? I mean, that is a wonderful and great truth. And we get that salvation through the righteousness that belongs to God, not anything that you have done or have earned. And Then he says, grace and peace be multiplied unto you. How many of you could use a little more grace and peace in your life? That's something God wants to give you. Do you know how you get grace and peace? Read the rest of the verse there with me. It says, through the knowledge of God. How many of you have ever had to learn a new skill? I mean, something a little complicated, uh, like running a computer or uh, building certain things. Or uh, I mean, there's a lot of skills out there. Uh, I've had the uh, good fortune in my life to be involved in many different things. Uh, I think it was Benjamin Franklin, the original statement was a jack of all trades and master of some. Uh, The way it worked out with me is a jack of all trades, I can do just about anything but master of none. Uh, I mean, that is the way most of us are. We can do things, but to really know how to do something. I mean, I've done a little bit of body work. I had to fix some of the buses at Cleveland Baptist and learn how to paint them when I was a bus mechanic there. And, but I worked with a guy who ran a body shop. And that guy could take a car and make it look like it was rolling right out of the showroom, even though it had rolled out of the junkyard just a week before. I mean, he was good. He was really good. Now, whenever I ran into a problem, you know what I did? I said, hey, Brother Sheffy, can you help me through this problem? You know what? I borrowed his knowledge. He knew how to do it and do it right. I didn't. And so I got his knowledge, and guess what? Whenever I did what he told me to do, it looked a whole lot better than what I did, what I thought I ought to do. You see, what you have to do is you have to get God's knowledge in your life and you will have grace and peace. That's what this passage is talking about. The knowledge belongs to God. It comes from Him. It's His knowledge But he wants to give it to you if you'll ask for it. If you'll go to him and you get that knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, you're going to have grace and peace. Not just enough grace to get through, but enough grace to share it with others. It's multiplied. Not enough peace just to survive, but enough peace that you can tell others how to get that peace. Have you ever met anybody that tried to tell you how to do something that they never did? Uh, We call them professors sometimes. They stand in the classroom and talk about something they've never done. Because the guys that are out there doing it, don't have enough time to stand around and pontificate about it. Listen, if you want grace and peace multiplied in your life, you've got to get God's knowledge from this book into your soul. And we'll find out how to do that in a few minutes, but God wants you to have that. Now let's look at verse 3. Something else that he has given us. According as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness. Now, if you turn on TBN and some of these uh, prosperity preachers, they love this verse. He hath given unto us all things. You have a brand new car and money in the bank and That's not what it's talking about, my friend. That is not what the Bible says. First of all, it's talking only to those that have obtained a like, precious salvation. Amen? You've got to have that like, precious faith. And then God will give you that which pertains unto life. That's how to live that faith. And godliness, that's how to show people that you have the knowledge of God in your life. Boy, I get really nervous when I meet someone and they say, Listen, preacher, I believe the Bible, but you know something? We live in a wicked world and we've got to compete with the world. Let me tell you something. There's not one verse in that Bible that says competing with the world. It says, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. It tells us to be ignorant. That means without knowledge concerning evil. You shouldn't know or understand or waste any effort in your life trying to figure out how to deal with the world. If you've been with us on Thursday nights in Psalm 119, the psalmist has been faced with princes and people that have dug pits and laid traps for him and all of these things. And the answer of his life was continually filling my soul with the word of God. He says, I, his divine power, by the way, is there any power in this universe greater than his divine power? There is not. I'll tell you one thing that just astounds me, and it ought to always astound you, that the God of this universe who took time to create everything that is wants to be involved in the decision-making process of your life on a daily basis. Did you get that? He wants to work in your life. He's God. He's able to do it. And He wants to do it. And His divine power hath given unto us those that have obtained that like precious faith. By the way, we didn't obtain it through what we did. We obtained it through something else that God has given us. That's His righteousness. He has given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness. By the way, if you have life, and you have godliness, do you need anything else as a saved person? Let me tell you, you don't. you got it all. you got everything you need. How do we get that? Through the knowledge of Him that hath called us to glory and virtue. Again, we're not smart enough. We do not know enough. We are not wise enough to figure out this world. But if we'll get God's knowledge, the knowledge that belongs to Him that He wants to give to us, He will give us everything we need to know to exist in this world. Now, if that isn't comforting, I don't know what is. If that isn't something that should comfort your soul in this day and time where everything is all about change. Let me tell you, it's changing. And I'm not going to pretend I'm smart enough to know what's going on. I'll try to get His knowledge. Amen? Now, look at verse 4, one more thing here. Whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, How do we get these great and precious promises? Through the things that pertain unto life and godliness that he's given us by his knowledge. Whereby are given unto us great and precious promises, exceeding great and precious promises. Look at this last phrase, that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature. Do you get that? We are to be partakers of the divine nature. Now, don't get excited. There's no spark of divinity that lies in you that you need to fan into flames. It doesn't come from you. It comes from God. But God wants your life to be controlled by the Holy Spirit of God. Amen? Amen? He wants you to be a partaker of the divine nature. Do you think that has a connection with when Jesus said that we had to eat his flesh and drink his blood, the words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are truth, they are life? Yes, it does. That's how we are partakers of the divine nature is right here. It's through the knowledge of him. It's through his knowledge working in our life Now, here is the greatest benefit. Once you're a partaker of the divine nature, what happens? Having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Now, I can tell you one thing about every person in this auditorium. We have all been touched by the corruption that is in this world through lust. Every one of us. It's there. You cannot escape it. You grew up swimming in it. Uh, We are wading upstream in the sewer of life and it is full of corruption and full of lust. And It makes our desires and teaches us to want things that are evil and against the scriptures. And many of us lived our lives that way for quite a while and before we surrendered to the Lord Jesus Christ. I'll tell you one of the greatest challenges our young people have today is to grow up without being consumed by the lust and the corruption of this world. We need to protect our children from that filth. We need to watch and guard their little lives. And by the way, I'm sorry teenager, your life is still little. As long as you're living at home. You stay under that protection and God will keep you from that. He will use your parents to help you. You don't need to know what marijuana is like. You don't need to know what beer tastes like. You don't need to know the pleasures of immorality. You don't have to watch the filth that's on television to understand that it's evil. Listen to God's knowledge, and he'll tell you that you don't have to do those things to know they're wrong. Amen? And if I were to ask most of us adults, how many of you wish you had grown up in a house like that where your parents would have protected you from those things? Could we have an amen from those? If you will get God's knowledge in your life, even though you've been touched by those things, you don't have to be overcome and destroyed by the corruption that is in this life. It says, having escaped. I'll tell you what, there's some of us that still need to escape that corruption. And this is how you do it. You see, God has given you these things. He wants you to have it. He wants you to have that like precious faith. He wants you to enjoy the same salvation the Apostle Peter and the Apostle Paul and that every living Christian has enjoyed since the days that Jesus walked upon the face of this earth. But as we studied in Sunday school, what did Jesus tell the Pharisees? Strive to enter in at the straight gate. He said there's going to be a lot of people that are going to try to get saved. And they're not going to be able to. Why? Because they refuse to let God do the work of saving them. You see, your salvation is by the righteousness of God. Not by the righteousness of filling in your name. It's not by the righteousness of your mother or your brother or your uncle that's a preacher or any good person that you know. It's by the righteousness of God. God wants to give that to you. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. It's that simple, amen? He wants to give you grace and peace. But the only way you're going to get that grace and peace is as you turn from your life and ask God to direct you by His knowledge and His wisdom that's contained in His Word. All things that pertain unto life and godliness are given to you if you'll let God's knowledge direct your path. Amen? And as you let that knowledge direct your path, you will be a partaker of the divine nature and escape the corruption that is in the world through lust. Now, here's what God wants you to give yourself. Look at verse 5. And beside this... Okay, God wants to give you these things and has given them. You must reach out and take them. And beside this, giving all diligence... Add to your faith virtue. And he goes through a list of things, and we'll go through that list, not in great detail, but we're going to go through that list in just a moment. But it says, you is the subject of that sentence. If if you're uh, like grammar, the subject of that sentence is you understood. It is talking to you as one of those that has received these things that are in the first four verses, and you are to give all diligence. Now, if there's something that we don't do in our society today, it it is all diligence. Well, that's good enough. How many of you have ever said that? You don't have to raise your hand in a minute, but... I know it's not right, but it'll do... We've all done that, have we not? Could I challenge you, that's not all diligence. All diligence is giving every bit of your being. It is 110%. You say, how can you give more than you are? Well, let's Go back to the first four verses there. You see, God gives you some things. And if you'll take what God gives you and use them to accomplish what God wants you to accomplish in these verses, you will find out that you will have more than you could ever have, more ability than ever could exist inside of you. And if you'll take God's knowledge, He'll give you wisdom that you could not possibly possess. He'll give you power and strength that you could not possibly get. And He'll cause you to accomplish these things. We still together? Amen? So, if you're going to give all diligence, you're going to have to surrender everything you are and get some extra from God to get it done. And the first thing it says, you have to add to your faith. And I want to stop here and take these first four verses again as a whole. And this is the description of God's faith in your life. It comes by the righteousness of God. It's based on the knowledge that belongs to God and our Savior Jesus Christ. It brings grace and peace in your life. It allows you to escape the corruption that is in the world through lust. It gives you everything that you will ever need that pertain, that have anything to do with living life and being godly. And when you stand before God, those are the only two things that are going to matter. That's why they're here. That is faith. You want to know what faith will do in your life, read the first four verses here. It describes it in living detail. Now, let's move on. What is the first thing? Add to your faith virtue. How many remember the Children's Book of Virtues? Very famous book written by a man who has none. He's a big gambler. Of course he was gambling with his own money, so I guess that makes it okay, right? No, it doesn't. I don't care if you gamble for recreation that has nothing to do with virtue my friend virtue is purity but it is more than just purity it is a purity that is powerful enough to influence those around you how many of you remember the story Jesus was walking to heal Jerry's daughter and there was a woman with an issue of blood she was unclean And she snuck up through the group and she said, I'll just touch the hem of his garment. If I could touch the hem of his garment, I'll be made whole. And she did, and she was made whole. Does anybody remember Jesus' remark to that? He said, I perceive that virtue has gone out of me. You see, virtue is a purity that is powerful enough to make unclean things around you clean. There used to be a day in this country called the United States where there was no such thing as a key ignition in your car. They just had a starter button there. It sat on the side of the the steering wheel or on the dash and you just push that little button and your car started up. Because who in their right mind would think about stealing a car around here? I've seen push-button cars today, but they're all computer-generated with little kinds of things in there and a new code is generated every 30 seconds or something like that to keep somebody from stealing your car. There used to be a day in this country when it was a shame to commit adultery. You didn't win political office because you've only done it once, or twice, or three or four times, but you're not doing it now, so you're good enough to be elected. There was a time when it was a shame to speak of things that are now part of our everyday vocabulary. You know why? Because there were people in this country that had virtue. And their virtue quelled the foolishness of sin around them. The problem is today we have accepted every deviant lifestyle as good and there is very little virtue left in our society. And as virtue goes down, sin goes up. They are doing things in church services today that would not be done in the darkest ends of iniquity. There's a preacher in California that is famous for his mentioning of immoral objects and things and in his sermons as he's teaching the Word of God. I'm not going to give you his name because some of you go look it up just to listen to it and find out. Wow, what did he say? He said that? Oh, my goodness. Listen, that is not virtue. When we go down to the nightclubs and get the music of the world, the jazz and the rock and the blues, and we bring it into church and we put Jesus' words to it. Let me tell you, that's because there is no virtue left. It used to be that a man named Elvis Presley was despised for his lewd and licentious behavior on the platform when he performed. Oh, preacher, that's not that bad. Well, the reason it's not that bad is because we don't have virtue today. Virtue is a purity of soul. And by the way, virtue is not Phariseeism. Don't do that around me. I'm a Christian, I don't do those things. That's not virtue. Uh, the only word I can think of that describes that is stupidity. Listen, virtue is purity in our souls. And we've got to ask God. If if we want these things, we've got to add virtue to our faith. And that is the most difficult thing to do, but it is the foundation of our relationship with God. Why can we look at something and say, oh, I don't think that's so bad, instead of the exact opposite. Is that going to help me draw closer to God? Is that thing going to help me get more virtue in my life? Tell you what, you can just get a pair of those snips. And if you don't have one, i got several pair here at the church. I'll loan them to you. Just, just cut that little black line that comes into your house. Just chop it off. Because I don't think you can tell me one good thing on cable television that's going to draw you closer to God. And if you can tell me one good thing, I think I wouldn't have a very big problem giving you a thousand things that will draw you further away. Why do we want that in our lives? Well, I'm lonely. It's it's my friend. It talks to me. Hey, Hey, wait a minute. I don't want my friend talking to me that way. I can't imagine this. You spend money. And you go into the store and you stand in line and you buy this CD, 15 or $20 and put it in your tape player to pay some filthy, depraved human being to curse at you and they call it music. That drives me nuts. I mean, I see these guys going down and you can hear it outside the car, blank, 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 blank. And then there's a real word in English and then there's a four or five cuss words followed and... Uh, sitting there and go, I wish I could get a bumper sticker, the picture of stupid, and just put it right on the car. Isn't that true? I mean, who would pay money for somebody to call them filthy names? When I was a kid, you used to get in a fist fight over that kind of stuff. And I'm not recommending that. But don't go pay somebody to cuss at you. That, I mean, come on. Virtue. Get that stuff out of your life. virtue add virtue to your faith let your faith change everything in your life we're not going to get anywhere near done going like this but then to virtue comes knowledge but wait a minute didn't you get saved by the righteousness of God you get grace and peace by the knowledge of Uh, of God and the divine promises are from the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue and were made partakers of the divine nature through the knowledge of God. Why is knowledge put here? Because let me tell you something, you can never know enough about God and his word. I don't care how many years you spend studying this book called the Bible, how many times you have read through this book, how many college classes you can attend and what degrees you have you will still never know enough about God. And if you're going to learn it, it's going to be an ongoing process every day. But if you don't get the virtue first, what does knowledge do? 1 Corinthians 13, knowledge puffeth up. Have you ever met somebody that knew everything? And I'm not talking about the fakes. I'm talking about somebody who really does know a lot. You know what the first thing they know is? They know that they know a lot. Because knowledge without virtue makes you proud. Virtue allows the knowledge to do you good. Amen? After you get some knowledge, then you need temperance. And the best illustration of temperance is that of a fine sword. They take the steel that is in that sword and they temper it. It must have both flexibility and brittleness. It must be strong enough to withstand the shocks that it will get as it is being used. But it's got to give a little bit. They used to make the first swords out of cast iron. And you know what happened? You hit something hard and it shattered like glass. Then they came up with steel. And the old guy with the iron sword would be sitting there, whoo, whoo, and the guy with the seal stored would come down upon his sword and it would shatter like a little pane of glass. And he'd be sitting there holding the handle. And the other guy's going, see you later, dude. But we need temperance in our lives. You know why? Because you're going to endure some shocks. And if you allow them, they're going to make you hard and brittle and unreceptive to the things of God and His Word. You've got to allow that knowledge to make you hard enough. I've had people sit in my office and say, Pastor, what I'm going to tell you is really going to shock you. I said, I wish that were true. You're not going to shock me. I think I'm done being shocked. Listen, but if I allow those sh- shocks to make me hard so that I can't reach out and help someone, I'm still no good. Amen? you got to have both. you got to have temperance enough flexibility to bend and enough brittleness to take it and to keep your shape and to keep serving God. We have a lot of people that are just cast Christians Ting, push, into a thousand pieces. We've got others that are so hard and brittle that the Holy Spirit of God couldn't move them with a bulldozer. Could we ask God for a little temperance? That we could be moved in His direction and yet keep the shape and the edge that He wants us to have. Amen? But you're only going to get that when you know how to live. And that knowledge will only bring temperance in your life as you get virtue, that purity that comes from walking with God. Then we come to the thing that we all need more of. Patience. But God put these things in an order for a reason. We have a lot of people that are patient because they're good at lying. I'm not going to lose my temper. I'm not going to do it. That's not patience. Uh Uh-oh, everybody's laughing. Preacher, that's not preaching, that's meddling. No, that's where we all live now, isn't it? We think we have patience until it's required. Then we find out we have very little. Patience is like humility. The moment you really believe you got it, you just lost it all. But if you allow God to work patience, James chapter 1, let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing, that will bring you to godliness. And that is an achievement in the world in which we live. But it is a goal that every Christian ought to live. And by the way, it's not the end in itself. It's just another one along the way. You see, godliness brings brotherly kindness. And that's one of the great problems with our Christianity today is everybody wants to skip the first one, two, three, four, five things, and including faith would be six. They want to skip all of those things and get right down to, we just need to love everybody. Well, let me tell you something. If I really love you and care for you, If I really love my children, am I going to let them grow up and not know how to read? If I really love my children, am I going to allow them to grow up and not know how to take care of themselves? If I really love my children, am I going to allow them to grow up and be cruel and mean to other human beings? Hello. If I really love my children, I'm going to do a very bad thing. I'm going to discipline them and try to build it in their lives. But that's because I love them. Because I don't want them to grow up and have to be taken care of by everybody else. How many of you have had to deal with a petulant child in an adult body? Every one of you have. You work with them, you talk with them, they're in your family, they're everywhere, including government, we won't go any further. Undisciplined children, they run the show today. Brotherly kindness is a wonderful thing but brotherly kindness means me and my brother are walking down the road together we don't have time at all to go here but when the when our constitution talks about the pursuit of uh, the declaration i'm sorry talks about the pursuit of happiness that's exactly what it's talking about it is making life choices that benefit society as a whole The Bible calls it brotherly kindness. But unless you have faith and build virtue into your faith and knowledge, into your virtue and temperance on top of your knowledge and allow that knowledge and temperance to work patience and godliness in your life, you will never get to brotherly kindness, let alone the epitome and the goal, the peak of human existence, which is charity. Charity. If you got one of those newfangled Bibles, it takes the word charity out and puts the word love in there. Now, let me explain something to you. There's a reason why this word is put in there, charity, is because in the English language, if we'll just take the working definition of the word charity, it simply means love in action. We have too many people who believe in love, but they don't let it make them do anything. And let me tell you something, that's not love. Real love, real charity, demands action. Don't tell me you love Jesus if you can watch HBO all week and come to church on Sunday morning. Don't, don't tell me that you love Jesus if you can't show up for a church service. Don't tell me you read your Bible every day if everything in your life denies that. Because this is demanding action. You see, the real Christian can love people because God loves him. I am not a Mother Teresa. I do not need my good works to try to make God happy with me. Read her life. That's what it was all about. That's a scary thing to me. I don't need your problems to be a good preacher, to love you and to care about you. But if I will walk with God, He will use the things that He puts in my life and in this book to reach out and give counsel and knowledge that doesn't belong to me, it belongs to God. And if you'll grab a hold of those things that are in this book, you can watch God change your life too. And we move together for Him. That's charity. That's what God wants in our lives. Now look at verse 10. I mean 9, (laughs) 8. Let me get my glasses on. Verse 8. For if these things be in you and abound, They make you that ye shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Do you see how that works? If you allow God to put these things into your life, you will gain the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ because you will start doing things not based upon your abilities, but based upon His. Not based upon your thought process, but based upon His. Not based on your perception of reality, but based upon His. Amen? Amen? This is what we need in our lives. And then we go to the next verse. But he that lacketh these things is blind and cannot see afar off. Now look at that last one. And hath forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. Do you want me to tell you why we struggle with the same old sin over and over and over again? It's because we're blind and cannot see afar off. It's because we're not striving, we're not giving all diligence to allow God to put these things in our life. If we were giving all diligence to allow God to put these things in our life, we would be gaining more and more of the knowledge that belongs to God and less and less of the knowledge and understanding that belongs to us. How many of you have ever thought you really understood something only to find out you didn't have a blessed clue to what was going on around you? Have you ever been there? Am I the only one that's going to admit that today? Okay, I see a few other hands going up. Yes, there we go. At least, I mean, that is human existence. But if I'll get the knowledge it belongs to God, do you think I'll know what's going on around me? Much more than I ever have. That's why it says in verse... Ten, wherefore the rather brethren give diligence to make your calling and election sure. Now that doesn't mean that you get up every morning and say, am I saved, am I saved, am I saved? Yeah, okay, now I can move. That's not what it's talking about. What is the calling of God? It's to add all of these things to your faith. That's what God's calling you to do right here in this passage. Paul in the book of Romans put it this way, to be conformed to the image of Christ. Do you think if you were conformed to the image of Christ, you would be acting upon the knowledge that belongs to Christ? I'd say that's a pretty good connection that we ought to make. Most commentators don't want to go there uh, because that would demand change in the way they live. And yet that's what the Bible's all about. And that's what our service ought to be all about. See, if no one else will believe your lies, you will. I don't know how somebody could look in the mirror and say, I know I'm lost, I know I'm going to hell, but I'm going to keep going to church and I'm just gonna do the best I can hope it turns out okay and yet I know there are people sitting right in this auditorium this morning right there when it says make your calling and election sure what it's talking about is if you have a real salvation it ought to be doing something in your life and if it's not then you better make sure that you've got the kind of salvation the Bible talks about, not some cheap imitation thereof. And I'm not here as a pastor trying to judge who's saved and who's not as I'm looking out over the auditorium. That is not my job. If you tell me you're saved, I want to believe you. I don't want to believe someone could sit in this church for month after month and year after year and not be saved. But if I read my Bible, I have to believe that they're there. Because it says so. And so I want to be as caring as I can this morning. As loving as I can. And admonish you to give some diligence to make sure your calling, and your election. Salvation is not a prayer. It's a surrender of everything you are to the Savior. That surrender will make you pray. You will call upon the name of the Lord and ask Him to save you. You have to. But the transaction is done in the heart, not in the mouth. Amen. And sometimes we as Christians, and I'm talking about myself included, i got to refocus, i got to be reminded that I need to make my calling and election sure by going back, defining what faith is, and then understanding that God gave me all of these things Now he wants me to add to that faith. Because he wants me to have the joy when I leave this life and enter heaven with him. But it's not going to be joy if you're not working now. Oh, you don't lose your salvation, but you can lose everything else. Let's not be of those that have forgotten that we were purged from our old sins. Let's not be blind Christians that make no difference in our society. Let us be those virtuous Christians that know what's going on, that demand purity without saying a word, that know how to love those sitting beside us with the full power and knowledge of the Holy Spirit of God. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you and we ask that you would take this passage. And Lord, there's not a time I go through this passage that I just do not feel like I've done a very poor job of presenting it. Yet, Lord, I believe that we've gotten enough truth this morning that it could change the life of every person in this building. And that's our prayer, Lord. We want to worship you not just by telling you how good you are but by showing the world in which we live your goodness through our love for you, for one another, and for the world. Lord, we ask that you would change us today. That it would be, as Peter said, a stirring up of our pure minds to remembrance that we may serve thee more in these last days. We ask that the Holy Spirit would have freedom during the time of invitation and that no one here would withhold from him the work he wants to accomplish. In your name we pray, amen. Let's stand together, Brother Franz, if you come come.